Let's play word association. Networking. What do you think of? I think of cheap name tags and weak drinks and insincere handshakes. But today's guest says there's a better way, and he's here to teach you how to be an effective networker without being a smarmy gladhander. Hello and welcome to the 1320 Podcast, the show designed to give you the most value in the shortest amount of time. I'm your host, Daniel Pink. In each episode, I choose one great book, ask its author three key questions, and get you on your way with big ideas and action items in under 20 minutes. The 1320 Podcast. You're listening to this podcast because you care about learning and developing, and also, well, because HubSpot created it. If you want more great education to grow in your career, check out HubSpot's free online courses at hubspot.com slash learn. Let's dive right in. Today's book is Friend of a Friend, Understanding the Hidden Networks that Can Transform Your Life and Your Career. It's by David Burkus. David is a professor of leadership and innovation at Oral Roberts University. He's a regular contributor to the Harvard Business Review and the author of two previous books, under New Management and the Myths of Creativity. Last year, Thinkers 50 named him one of the top 50 management thinkers in the world. David, welcome to the 1320 Podcast. Dan, thank you so much for having me. So, David, you've written a book on a topic, networking, that often veers into either cliche or, or ickiness, but you've somehow figured out a way to avoid that. So let me begin as we always begin here. What's the big idea? What's the big idea in Friend of a Friend? Well, Dan, the big idea is that we need to redefine networking. It's not about meeting strangers, going to cocktail parties, running up the count on our LinkedIn connections. It's about better understanding the network we're already in, how to create value for that network and how to work that network. And when you do that, there's a whole lot less icky feelings. Yeah. So what's interesting about your definition of it is that it sounds very scientific. And I know in the book you talk about the science of social networks. But what have we gotten wrong here? Many of us recoil at the very word networking. It reeks of glad handing and insincerity and bad aftershave. So I think truthfully, the problem is that there's a lot of networking advice out there and networking advice is autobiographical. It's one person Mm. or maybe two people's ideas on this is what worked for me. And so it'll work for you. And then we go and try and apply that advice and we feel inauthentic. We feel like we're not being ourselves because we're not. When you're Mm. trying to apply somebody else's advice, you're trying to be them in that moment. So talk to me about authenticity then. How does authenticity play into this science of networking? Because in your book, you talk about the nature of social networks writ large and some of the mechanisms by which they work. So how does authenticity square with that? Yeah, so my goal in writing Friend of a Friend was just to present the science. Here are the things that all networks have in common, human networks, but also computer networks, electrical grids, et cetera. And when you understand the different things that all networks have in common, you have a better idea of understanding the people around you. And then you decide what's the best way to leverage all of these insights. Now, you're not taking my advice and trying to apply it verbatim. You're just going, okay, now that I know the science, I can come up with a strategy that's authentic to me. So what are some of those things that all networks have in common? So, for example, one of the things we dive into right off the bat is that contrary to a lot of our beliefs, some of our most valuable insights come not from the close friends we always talk to, but from our weak and dormant ties. Mm. These are people that we know, but we don't know that well, or we haven't talked to in a while. And because they have a different group of close connections, because they're somewhere else in the network getting different information and different perspectives, they're our best source of new ideas, new information, new introductions, even new job leads. And this is something we've known for almost very long 50 time. years. Yeah. 
Right. And, and yet we still sort of cling to we trust the people that are close to us. And then in the in 2018, we jump into the anonymity of the Internet instead mm. of pinging back with those weak and dormant ties. Let me spin back something that you write in the book, which I think is a lovely way to capture this idea and maybe have you expand on it. You write and I'm quoting David Burkus now, your friend of a friend is your future. What do you mean by that? So this is a fascinating insight from two researchers, Nicholas Christakis and James Fowler, who found that your friends have a powerful effect on your life. I mean, your friends literally make you fat over time. They also <laughs> affect smoking rates, happiness rates, and a myriad of other things. But so do their friends and their friends' friends. So they call it the three degrees of influence. Mm -hmm. Your friend of a friend of a friend has a statistically significant impact on your life as well. All the more reason to better understand the network that you're around. You also talk about the nature of networks, and you have some interesting points there. Even this idea that maybe we should stop thinking about whether we have networks. One of the things we get wrong is just a, a matter of semantics. You can't build your network. You can't grow your network. You don't have a network. You exist inside of a network. And your best bet is to understand where am I in that network mm. and who do I need to get connected to? So it's a matter of understanding, I guess, the context. And, and, and you write about you, we are embedded in networks. How do we get better at understanding where we sit within that network? So some of it has to do with, again, that weak and dormant ties idea. I think we also need a, a good idea of who are the connectors in that network. Is it us or is it someone else? Who are the people that are making the introductions and keeping the community at, together? Those are the people that tend to be in the center if we were to draw a network map. And for a lot of us, our goal is either to be in that center or to be the person that's connecting one community to another, what we call this idea of structural holes and brokering the gap that is a structural hole between two communities. Either one is a good strategy, but we we need to be really clear on which one we are. It's all very interesting, David, but let me ask the second question we always ask here, which is this. Why should I care? So we know in, in a pure instrumental way, we know that the uh, the study of networks and understanding the network you're in has a powerful effect on your career. In, in several studies, teaching executives to, to see what uh, sociologists call social capital, the value of the network around them and, the, and how to extract that value, it affects their rate of promotions, their salaries, and a myriad of other things. I think more important than that is that three degrees of influence we discussed with Christakis and Fowler, the idea that your network up to friend of a friend of a friend has an impact on your overall overall well-being is perhaps even more important. There's a reason in the subtitle we didn't just stop at career. Networks transform your life and your career. And in this era of social media, I mean, how should we think, though, about networking? Everything I've read is says that Twitter and Facebook and those kinds of networking actually bring us down because they're an orgy of social comparison and conflict and confirmation bias. So they do. And there's a, a myriad of reasons why. The, the best way I've, I've come to sort of synthesize all this research is that online tools for social networks should be a supplement to, not a replacement for okay. your existing offline network. So if you're just interacting online and you feel like you're getting actual human interaction, no, you're actually probably getting increased loneliness, increased depression, et cetera. <laughs> On the other hand, you know, we talked about the power of weak and dormant ties. Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, these are all platforms where your weak and dormant ties are broadcasting information about your life that you can use to start up a conversation with them and reach back out to them. So there are powerful uses for these tools, but they're a supplement to what's going on in the real world, not a replacement for it. So we know the big idea is that 
networking operates based on a set of scientific principles, characteristics of all networks, and that we should think about our own personal networks, not as something that we have, but as something that we're embedded in and something in which we do better when we're authentic and when we draw on weak and dormantize and fill structural holes. Uh, We know that we should care because our network has a profound effect on our career trajectory and even on our physical and emotional well-being. So, David Berkus, let's go to question number three. What should I do? Let's start with managers. So for managers, the biggest what should I do is to recognize that one of the downsides of networks is that clustering and over time what we refer to as homophily, this idea that like attracts like and the people that we choose to go to for our our sources of counsel, sources of information tend to be very self-similar. And in reality, what we need is a much more diverse flow of information. So we're seeing it from different perspectives. So for managers, the first thing you should probably do is audit your network. Who are the people that you're interacting with the most? Who are the people that are often in your meetings? and how similar to you are they? There's going to be the majority that are self-similar and a small percentage that are very different. And moving forward, you need to make a note to spend a disproportionate amount of time with those people that are not similar to you because they're going to be a powerful source of new perspectives, but also introductions to more people who are like them. So over time, you grow in your perspective as well. Now, when you say audit, you actually mean that. You have actually a methodology for doing that. Explain that. Yeah, I, I mean, literally audit. I, I mean, pull up a list of probably about the last two dozen people that you interact with. So check your phone records, check your email, check your meetings, the meetings invitations on your calendar to see who else was there and come up with a list of who are about the top two dozen people that I'm interacting with the most and then start to assess them. Where do they fall on this? What department in the organization are they from? Right. What are their ideologies? What are their I mean, even even diversity on the level of racial, ethnic, gender, age, et cetera. We need to look at sort of all of it and how similar to me are are they or how different from me are they? And for most people, when they do this activity, they find that of, of let's say 25, 15 to 20 are very self-similar and only about five to 10 are very different. But now we've got that list of people that we can spend more time with and be very intentional about learning from. So the people who are less like you are the people who you should begin spending more intentional time with. Exactly. And that helps counteract that effect of clustering that eventually leads to unknowingly being in a a network that looks exactly like myself. Excellent. Now, let's also talk about rekindling dormant ties. You talk about how weak ties are often more important than our strong ties, our closest friends, our closest colleagues. Uh, Indeed, the whole book is premised on this idea that it's our friends of a friend who make the biggest difference. So how do I uh, use those weak ties? How do I rekindle those dormant ties? What are some things I can do? So, so two steps here, one for the weak and dormant ties, the people we know, and one for that friend of a friend connection. The, the first is, and this is actually permission to get on social media. Look on Twitter, LinkedIn, Facebook, wh- wherever you like to spend time and find a weak or dormant tie. Someone you haven't talked to in over a year. Find something that they're sharing about their lives or, or about their work and what have you and use that as a reason to strike up a conversation. Just send them a quick email. Hey, I saw that you just got a new job. Congratulations. You might not know anything about that company, so it's an opportunity to ask, whatever it is, just use that as an excuse to start that conversation. And now you make a habit of doing that. I try and do it with a weaker dormant tie once a week. And the other thing I try and do is bring up the question, 
who do you know in blank, especially if you're in that category of job searcher, whether you need one now or whether you're looking for a better opportunity, asking not can you introduce me to a specific person, but who do you know in blank helps you explore who are those friends of a friend, those one degree of separation people out there and making a note of them so that if you do need them in time, you know who they are and how to get connected to them. Now, you also have a really intriguing alternative to traditional mixers. Now, when we think of networking, when I think of networking, I think of a bunch of people awkwardly standing around at some big room in northern Virginia. Everybody has a name tag plastered onto their their chest, and no one is really digging it. But you have an alternative to that. Yeah, so the, the mixer, right? The traditional networking mixer that tons of research shows people don't actually mix at. In <laughs> fact, most people, when you're in these unstructured activities, you spend most of your time with people you already know. Totally. Which is fine if that's the goal, but most of us go to those meetings with the intent to meet other people. And it's not you, it's not me, it's the, the structure of the event, or rather lack of structure. So hmm. in the book, we talk about planning shared activities. And a shared activity is different than a networking mixer. It can be um, a dinner party, especially works well if, if everyone is also cooking, so you're sharing in that. Mm-hmm. It can be volunteering for a nonprofit. It can be starting a running club. Whatever, whatever works for you to get everyone together, focused on something other than connecting, something where there are stakes. This is why I like the dinner party mm-hmm. approach. You, you mm-hmm. have to actually work with other people. Otherwise, you burn the chicken and everyone hates you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so something where there is something uh, approach and something that draws a diverse group of people together. And when you focus not on connecting with others, but on mutually achieving that shared objective, you find you end up meeting and getting along with with people you wouldn't have met in that in that mixer room in Northern Virginia, et cetera. So everyone has a little bit different type of activity, but this is the, I think, the takeaway and the what you can do for everyone, which is start to plan or start to attend those shared activities. They're a far better way to network almost by accident. Yeah, you even suggest beginning a dinner group. Yeah. So in the book, we profile several different dinner groups that that I love. One thing they have in common is that it's more than just, um, hey, come and we're going to cater your dinner. It's we're all going to get together to do it. And the act of cooking as a group, I think a lot of times you have to be careful to curate the list. And so we profile several people that do that. But almost anyone can get started by saying, hey, I'm going to I'm going to invite six friends, preferably six weeks or dormant ties. And then I'm also going to invite them to bring a plus one, Mm. not a spouse or romantic partner, but just somebody else they think this group would meet. And that way your dinner party is always a mix of weak and dormant ties and new connections for you to meet. Mm -hmm. Do you include your strong connections there? So you can, again, depends on your goals and what you're trying to do often, especially if you're going to go to like 12 or 15 people in this, uh, one or two strong connections who have been there often, who know you and like you, et cetera. But again, most of us encounter our strong connections by default through our day to day. Mm -hmm. And so really when we want to leverage the power of the network that's around us, those weak and dormant ties, those friend of a friend connections, the people that can connect us to other communities, there where most of the value lies and there where most people have to be intentional about connecting with because the strong ties kind of happen by default. That approach to networking already makes me feel more comfortable, a shared activity versus a mixer. Um, But one thing that makes me a little uncomfortable is this feeling that, do I have to be an extrovert in order to have an advantage here? So I don't think you do. And in fact, there's some research that suggests that introverts over the long term might be better mm. networkers. The the research for this comes from a phenomenon. It's a very $2 SAT word called multiplexity. <laughs> the idea, I, I know, right? 
the, the idea is that we have numerous different contexts for connecting for people. So if we only know each other through work, that would be a uniplex tie. But if we know each other from work and our children go to the same school, or maybe we go to the same gym or we like the same sports team, that becomes a multiplex tie. There's multiple different contexts for connections. And the extroverts going to those networking mixers in Northern Virginia, they're the ones that are working the room and having superficial conversations with everyone. They're going to build more connections, but they're going to be uniplex mm. ties. The introverts who have the deeper conversations stay with me and I'll talk to just two or three people that night. They're going to build multiplex relationships. And over time, you build a deeper relationship faster with someone with higher levels of trust if you build a multiplex tie. Fascinating. We also talked about some of these structural holes and you write about the importance of connecting between industries rather than inside a single industry. What's some advice for that? So I think the biggest thing is to find the people in your network already that are in a different industry and ask to sort of crash their meetings, crash their <laughs> get togethers. Right. So that I mean, I don't want you to show up like totally uninvited to the local trade association chapter with no one. But starting to ask, can I sit in on this? Can I get to know more about this? Can you introduce me to other people who are in this industry? Your weak at dormant times are the people that are most likely to connect you to that other community. But then you've got to be intentional about meeting more people in that. You can't stand on the fringes of two communities and yell, we should get together. Mm -hmm. It's not going to work. Mm -hmm. But if you start to, to embed yourself, you're already embedded in one. If you start to embed yourself in the other, then you become that linchpin that connects them by accident. Let me recap that advice because there are five great nuggets here. One, audit your network. Take a careful look at who you're spending time with to make sure you're not in an echo chamber. Two, once a week, reach out to a dormant tie. That's where the action is. Three, go for shared activities over networking mixers. Maybe even start your own dinner group. Four, don't be a raging extrovert. That doesn't matter. Instead, look to build multiplex ties across different domains of people's lives. And number five, crash other people's meetings. Try to connect between industries instead of within a single industry. David, it's graduation season right now. I want to give you the final word here. What advice would you have for recent graduates? So I think the most interesting thing for recent graduates is they assume that they have no network. You know, graduating in and I might move to a new city or what have you, but I don't know anybody in this industry. The truth is you do. You start exploring the weak and dormant ties. You start reaching out to a friend of a friend, including you know people you went to college with, but also friends of your family, what, what have you. You start to explore the network you're already embedded in. And I guarantee you, you can find a path to that thing that you want to do once you graduate. And you can both find and be... A Friend of a Friend, that's the title of David Berkus's excellent, fascinating new book on how hidden networks can transform your life and your career. David, thanks for being with us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to the 1320 Podcast. If you want more great education to grow in your career, check out HubSpot's free online courses at HubSpot.com learn. And if you enjoy this podcast, please rate it and review it on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you leave your ratings and reviews.